So I think a lot of times we get bored and a lot of times we just grab our phone and we're like, okay, I'm bored. So I'm just gonna watch Netflix. I'm gonna go on my phone, waste time. And the next thing you know, an hour and a half has gone by, right? But in that hour and a half, what if you embrace the boredom like we used to have to do and our minds started thinking about stories. The next thing you know, you're writing out something that your mind thought about. And the next thing you know, you have like a short film idea or you have a feature film idea. Like those are moments that I feel like social media can take away from us. So tell me about your first feature and how was that process of making your first movie? Yeah, um, it's no joke making your first film. You know, it's a lot of work, especially as an independent filmmaker. Um, there's a lot of different ropes that you have to climb through, uh, decisions you have to make, uh, working with unions, um, whether or not you want to work with unions, right? Um, but, you know, as an independent filmmaker, uh, going into your first feature, I think that you have to wear a lot of different hats, you know? Um, depends on the budget, of course. But even if you do have a big budget, I still think you're, you want to wear hats in the sense not like telling people what to do, but um, you want to learn about the entire process so that it only makes you stronger and better for the next time, you know? So even little things um, from pre-production that might seem minute, I think it's important to learn. Um, so I think that uh, that whole process was just a learning process of just growing as a filmmaker, growing my creative talents and growing my business talents too, of having to deal with and negotiate a bunch of different avenues. Mm -hmm. So in your case, how old were you when you actually like started production of like shooting the movie? I was 33, 30, 30, 32, 32. Okay. And you started like you went to college for film you mm -hmm. started making stuff since you were super young yeah so how long like if rough years how long since you started like oh i want to be a filmmaker and make movies until you made that first movie yeah almost 10. so i made my first short in college which i thought was awesome um was that ale no no that was uh it's called a thursday or something like that okay, i haven't seen that one no you'll never see it <laughs> just kidding um, uh, I made it in school, just driving uh, in my Jeep and a song came on and I pictured this entire story uh -huh. and I wanted to be an editor at the time. So I was like, well, my college didn't have the right, I mean, they, they had enough tools for me to be able to do something, but you know, didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have an editing platform. I didn't, what they have now is a lot more robust than what I had. So I just asked if I can borrow a camera. They said yes. And I figured out how to shoot something and I made it. And um, so that was, you know, uh, 2007, eight, 2008. And then, uh, gosh, it's so like, yeah. Um, That's a long time. That's about the time that I started to. Yeah. I started around 2007. I was in Cuba and I was working at the church. I was a kid at the yeah. church. So I also asked for a camera and we were doing like this like teenage TV magazine type show mm -hmm. that it was supposed to be like a like a four minute intro to a big service. And then I ended up making like a 20 minute episode of what seemed like a like a teenage MTV style <laughs> show with like interviews yeah. and like <laughs> music video style stuff. So that was interesting. I haven't and seen that either. You're not gonna <laughs> see that. It's actually out there. It's on YouTube. And <laughs> It's embarrassing, but at the same time, I was like 15, it was 2007. Yeah. We were editing, shooting with a Canon mini DV, like little camera, capturing with a VCR, 
and it was terrible and editing like we fried one of the computers like it was it was challenging but it's interesting and i wanted to ask you this question because a lot of the times i feel bad that i haven't made more movies yeah and i feel like a failure half the time and as an artist you always want to you feel like you always have to create yeah and it's something that i want to remind other people especially younger people who are getting into film that if you're 22 and you just came out of college and you haven't made a movie and you feel like why aren't you millionaire successful and the most famous person in the world mm -hmm. it's like when you look at other people and how they have done it mm -hmm. yeah you have one or two superstars that are 25 and they go to cans and all that yeah. but most of the time filmmakers build their craft through years if not decades mm -hmm. until they can actually pull everything together that is needed to make a movie yeah so how do you think about that process and that struggle of you have to push because if you don't push you don't get anything made but then you don't want to feel like a failure all the time and right. how do you balance that that's a great question um you know I feel like as artists, it's like you, like both of us, right? Uh, we're filmmakers. We want to create things. We want to constantly like make things, and we feel like we have to make something. Um, so many people, you know, when you're working on a film, they watch a film. You're in a film festival, and they just watched your movie. They loved it, whatever. They hated it, whatever. Um, not they loved it, whatever. They loved it, great. Um, but they always ask, so what's next, right? It's like. I just, finished, I just this. finished this one. Like, can we just focus on this one for right now, you know? And then there's so many people that will ask you that question. And I feel like sometimes that's just like knocking on your head all the time where people are just like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Like we have to produce something right now, right? And I'm not sure if that's because of just culture of just how society is now with social media, things, instant gratification, whatever. But I think it's okay to be patient. It's okay to be wait, to wait and to really like, you want to, depending on what your career is, you wanna be able to tell the story that actually moves you, right? Like something that you're passionate about because in filmmaking, you're, you're not just making some something that's gonna be turned around in a week, right? You're gonna invest in this thing for a couple years. And so I think that that's something that's really important that you have to like remember and that's okay. But how do you deal with that inner, like your inner critic or your inner struggle of, I want to be making a movie, but I either don't have an amazing script that I love, oh. which is like probably the most terrible part, or I have a script, but no one thinks that it should be made or I don't know how to make it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think everybody is different, honestly, when it comes to dealing with inner struggle. I know I deal with it a lot. Sometimes I, uh, I think a lot of people deal with imposter syndrome as an artist, as a filmmaker. Um, you constantly feel like you want to keep pushing and dealing with, with, with these things, but I think just being patient. And I think that, um, at least for me, like having another side thing that isn't so focused on what your career may be, what you are trying to want to do helps a lot. I know for me running, um, you know, you know, I'm a marathon yeah. runner that has definitely taught me patience. Um, cause you're out there for 26 miles when I'm running, competing in marathons and you never know what's going to happen along that road. You can have trained exactly how you want to have trained and everything could go perfectly but on race day when it comes down to execution sometimes those things don't actually come through right and it could be the same thing applied to life mm -hmm. you have to be able to pivot you have to be able to be patient you're still going to get to the end but the road may not seem how you had planned or how you had envisioned 
which just goes to making a movie, right? Like so many times while making a feature film, we had to pivot. We had to, we had to deal with weather. We had to deal with sickness. We had to deal with a lot of different things. And I think that you can take those same things and apply it to whatever the case may be. So in terms of making a movie or feeling like you haven't reached that goal yet, it's just being patient and being able to know your worth. And also like, not everybody just makes it right away. A lot of people, yeah, like you said, there's some of those kids that are 25 years old that just have a great opportunity. They had a hit out of the park, but a lot, sometimes those kids are like one hit wonders too, you know? So I think it just all varies. Yeah. So in the case of Christmas in July, uh, what got you started with that project and the, like the core of the idea and how were you able to make that happen? Yeah, so Christmas in July, I first came across that film. I didn't write it, I wasn't the primary writer. Um, I was judging a film festival at the time and um, the writer had the script in San Diego with some producer and it fell through like a lot of things, like 99% of things do, right? And he's like, do you wanna read this? And I was like, sure, I'll read it. And I was just coming off of Ella which was pretty successful for a short film and made its rounds around the country, did all these really cool things. Um, and he enjoyed that film. And he was like, if you can make a heartwarming film with your style, would would you want to take a look at my script? And I was like, sure, I'll look at it. Um, and after many revisions and a lot of rejections, a lot of no's taking it to studios, um, you get the classic, like, this is a heartfelt movie, but it's just not for me or mm -hmm. for us. You know, you get that a lot and that's okay. You have to just try again, try again, and try again. Um, it took a lot of patience and a lot of like, I say giving up, but I don't know if it's giving up really if you constantly think about it. But a lot of times I was like, this isn't gonna happen, I'll just put this aside. And when I had the opportunity to make it um, and how that came about was just like different avenues of resources, right? Um, we had a certain amount of budget and Christmas and July fit in that budget and so we were able to make it. And now we have a movie that's hit the theaters last mm -hmm. summer and is on streaming and yeah. it's cool. How did it feel when you could see it like there on Apple TV and you could actually like- <laughs> It's, it's a great feeling. It. Yeah, it's it's yeah. cool. Like, especially, you know, knowing that there's all these strangers around the world that have never, well, not around the world, but like certain countries and stuff where you With laugh. the territories With and the your territory. distribution. Yeah. yeah whatever the territories are um have have seen that or you've checked social media and someone from canada is like i watched christmas in july directed by miles Matsuno, whatever and like loved it it's like oh that's a cool feeling you know yeah. so it's like all that sometimes all that stress and all that self-doubt actually comes through and um yeah. yeah it's cool yeah the beauty i think the beauty of a film is that it keeps giving even after you finish it yeah and I had that experience with a with a short that I did called Calphoria, where we made the film, finished it. I co-directed with uh, the actress Linda Solo, and and she wrote it. She starred in it, and we worked on it for like nine months, I think, like on the edit, doing different cuts, and then we sent it to film festivals and festival and festival and festival, and like no, 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 no. Oh, you're in this festival in like Montana and where 15 people are gonna watch it. And then we kept going and going and going. And then eventually we released that online and it took like three months, crickets, nothing. And then all of a sudden, like people started noticing the film and Miles, I was getting like, I was waking up to like 
20 messages like comments on youtube of people saying oh my god i cannot believe this story like people thought that it was like a real story yeah people were moved people were like sharing their own stories of like abuse and domestic violence and all of that and talking about how this character is doing this and like they cannot believe this and for a long time i would have like really bad weeks or bad days with like trying to get projects and just hearing no, 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 or like working on set for someone else's movie and just feeling bad that I'm not making my own movie. And then I will wake up and see one of those messages of something that I did like two years ago. Yeah. And it's still like touching people. And I think that's something super powerful that your movie has because I think it's going to keep getting better and better and better, especially because you did that Christmas thing. So tell me about on the business side, what has been your approach and you and I have had two hour long conversations about yeah. this over the years. Do you go through the studio, the pitch deck, trying to get the meetings, pitch the projects, or do you just try to find a, a small pool of investors, yeah. put up some money? Tell me about the differences between studio versus independent and what's your take on it like now after making a movie yeah. and all that? Um, I honestly just think it depends on the project. Right. If you have something like Marvel, of course, you don't want to try to self-fund that or find like little investors to try to help make like a small indie budget film. Um, so definitely, you, I think the power of studios is something like really great. And I think it's very good to have their backing. But it's also there's pros and cons to that. Right. Like there's the give and takes just like everything else. Right. Um, depends on who you are if you're a new writer and you and you get a great deal that's great but that's not also everybody's situation that's not you don't as someone that's new sometimes you have to prove yourself right like um so a lot of times people have to give up rights to be able to get something made and and that's okay too like there's there's nothing wrong in that so i just think it depends on every situation i think that it just depends on every product and every project that you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. um, so in the case of independent filmmakers, what was your process? Or if you had to do like now for your next film, knowing what you know, what like steps would you take to try to get your next independent budget movie made? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I, I <laughs> You're trying to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, it's like we're in the same boat. Everyone, I know you. May, I feel like everyone's in the same boat when yeah. that happens. You know, even like, gosh, Martin Scorsese had just finally got to make his passion project, mm -hmm. and it's Martin Scorsese, yeah. right? And and Netflix gave him a chance on it, so mm -hmm. it's like he had to wait all those years, and he always wanted to tell um, that film. What's it called about the the Catholic crusade? Silencio, and, silence. I think is it Silencio. I think so. I thought it was the, oh yeah, 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 you're right, yeah, mm -hmm. with the Japanese and yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he always wanted to make that film, but no one ever gave him the chance. Yeah, I remember one time I was watching an interview with Jerry Bruckheimer, who's a massive uh, producer, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean, Bad Boys. I, and I think he was working with Tom Cruise, trying to get Top Gun 2 made. Mm -hmm. And they spent like 20 years. And they still couldn't get it made. Right. Like they couldn't raise the money for it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And that actually made me feel, okay, like if my little movie that nobody knows me or the people in it, like if I'm having trouble making it, oh, it's okay. Like Tom Cruise can <laughs> get that other movie made. So it made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. And there's no formula to these things, honestly. Yeah. Like yeah. the only formula really are 
like sequels. Like there's already a built-in audience. So sometimes, which is surprising for Top Gun too, like it did so well, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes you make a film going back to like uh, the uh, California, um, like look at Shawshank Redemption. Like that film didn't do so well in the movie theater mm -hmm. and it became like, it's a great film, but it yeah. became super successful. And now it's like one of the best films of all time. And I bet you they didn't think it was gonna be that successful after it, after it left the movie theater, you know? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it wasn't like this film that, I mean, it's an amazing film. It's one of my favorite films, but at the time it wasn't like, people weren't raving about it all, all the time. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about the, combination of commercial versus like something artistic because i know you have a very like personal style with your movies mm -hmm. but that can be really difficult to sell yeah so how do you approach that do you even care or do you just like make whatever you want to make and you don't think about how are you going to sell it yeah um i didn't think about how i'm going to sell something until christmas in july because i've never been in that situation before so dealing with the pre-production like Christmas in July is a sellable film, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I knew that if I made it and put my style to it, you have Christmas um, and it's in July and Chris, like Christmas movies do well, right? And then you have a, a family film too. So you just combine those, I think that's a good formula. Yeah. Um, it's like kind of like a safer formula, which sometimes, you know, as an artist, you don't always want to be the safest, but I also didn't want to like completely strike out, you know, on yeah. my first one. Um, so I think that uh, um, when I add my personal style, I don't think that takes any value away from something. I think it adds to it, just like it would add to your films, because that's it's like this is what this is an actual movie, you know. Like people watch Christmas and they're like, I can see Miles' style in it, but is it like the actual like stories that I would want to tell all the time? No, but it's something that you know I got to put my own footprint, my own style in. And I think that um, like the same with my Japanese internment camp documentary, mm -hmm. you know, that's more personal for me. It's not as sellable as Christmas in July, mm -hmm. but it's it does well in its own right. You yeah. Know? And the good thing about that film is that you don't need it to do anything like commercially like just you making that film for you. That, that's more, that's why I made more it than enough. Yeah. And I think that's why it's also touched a lot of people too. like mm -hmm. knowing that I made something that had no plans of distribution. Like it literally was a home glorified project of me just gathering and having something that I can pass down tangible to generations to come in my own family, show friends, show family. And then it just so happened to like, I was like be invited to be part of Nietzsche Bay in San Francisco and then get invited to other film festivals and win best documentary, get educational distribution. Like I would have never planned that, be invited to classrooms and stuff like that. And I think that only came because I put my own personal touch to it. I did something that I love. And that's the reason why I was like, I think there's a quote by Quincy Jones. And he said something as, as soon as money comes into the room, God like walks out the door. And I think that's such a good quote because it's like, money can change conversations, money can change art. And you have to have these conversations, of course. Yeah. It's important, but also at the same time, like it could also determine how good a piece of art could be. Yeah, the challenge for me is that I want to make big commercial movies, but I also want to make like artful, personal films. Right. So it's really tricky. In, in the case of my film, Literary Inc., 
it was a mix of I I found a niche, so tattoos. I did my research. I was like very interested in the tattoo world visually. Like yeah. so, from my creative standpoint, it was like candy for me because like it was fun. And then I look at the numbers, and it's like, well, there are billions of it's a billion dollar industry. There's millions of people who get tattoos all around the world every year. So this has its own thing that mm -hmm. could fit and I could sell it. And I think that's why I got distribution kind of easy mm -hmm. in, in an easy way because they reach out to me and that they could see it. But then the whole movie is like a little bit of that commercial thing. And then a lot of it is like the story of like one of my best friends and yeah. the personal stories of the people involved in the film and all that. But I still struggle with... When I sit down to think, okay, my next film, what is it going to be? I would love to make this one action movie and I'll probably need millions of dollars to make it. Or I want to make this other movie that is personal to me and it probably take less money, but I want to make it as a bigger movie. So sometimes I get caught up in that. You know, it's, it's difficult to find it's which one hard. to go after. And I don't know, for you right now, you finished the movie, you did a lot of promotion for it. Are you still in promotion mode and pushing Christmas in July or are you working on like your next thing? Yeah. What, what stage are you on right now? Yeah. Um, well, I'm always working on my next thing, always having different ideas and writing scripts and writing notes, uh, revising, trying to pitch, trying to do things like that. Um, but I don't think Christmas is one of those things where it will come around every July and every Christmas time. So there's always going to be some type of little promotion for it, whether it's a marketing team handling it for me or whether it's just me doing a tweet like everything's promotion right so mm -hmm. or sending out to the emails that i have collected yeah um so i think that that's always going to be a thing um but I, as you're doing that you should definitely also be thinking of your next one because you never know like what we talked about or what you mentioned earlier you woke up you, someone you got a comment or whatever things are rolling you never know like someone might watch that film that could potentially see the potential of what you can make in the future, you know, and be like, let's, let's try to make what, what, what are your passion projects? Like, let, show me what you got and let's mm -hmm. see if we can make one of them happen. You know, right. you never know. There's so many different stories of how so many people got their stuff made. It's insane. Yeah. Um, now what you were saying about promotion, I, I really like that. And, I used to struggle with the idea of promoting something that I did a long time ago. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like you make a film and it takes a long time to edit it and put it out and then you release it. And then for two weeks, it's kind of cool. But then it's like, okay, who cares? Yeah. But I think we need to keep going back to the same films that we made. And they're like a never ending story that you have to keep telling, especially on social media, because you're getting new followers and new exactly. people. And a lot of the times you will post about something so you have a subset of followers, then the algorithm only shows that post to like a small percentage. Right. Out of those people, probably half of them were not paying attention and they miss it. And then half of the other half are the ones who actually go to see it. So even though you're promoting something, it might not reach all of those people. And, but because I'm a creative, I feel like I already did that. Like I yeah. can't keep doing that. So I did that switch, I think a year or two ago when I was learning more about social media and the algorithm and YouTube and all that. Yeah. And I realized, okay, you can keep pushing things. So you were telling me about your relationship with Instagram and social media and all that. 
So where are you standing there right now? And how do you look at social media and promotion? And tell me about the career artist side, but also the personal side, because yeah. I know we, we were talking a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So social media, especially Instagram, um, I would love to say I use it as a tool all the time. That's not the, that's not the truth. You know, I, sometimes I use it as a way to keep friends and family informed too, which I guess it could be a tool, mm -hmm. but a business tool, that's what I mean. Um, but for me, I find that it becomes something that actually hurts my creative process. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know if that's just because, you know, I, I'm a millennial that grew up where there was a time when there was like no social media. You had dial-up internet, stuff like that, where you had to wait for things, you know? Um, I have no idea, but I find that I'm more creative when I set boundaries for myself. Like um, right now, I don't have Instagram on my phone. I, I still have Twitter, but I don't find Twitter like, I don't find myself scrolling through Twitter and watching stories and reels and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that if I keep Instagram either on my desktop or an old janky phone that I have that can still run it, which I'm doing right now, and I check it when I think about it or I use it as a tool or a platform, kind of like YouTube, where I post something that whether like the other day I was doing uh, first to go, San Francisco yeah, library doing, uh, yeah. um, conversation afterwards, right? Something like that where I just let my followers know, friends and family know, um, whoever follows the tag know uh, that I'm talking about the Japanese internment camps, showing the movie, this is where the tickets are. If I can just do that and then just leave it like a, we talk like nine to five, like you just like, this is, this is what it's doing its thing. Nothing really is gonna be that important where it can't wait for me to check a message in the morning and I think that's really helped my mental health mm -hmm. um, turn off, which also let me embrace the boredom too, where it helped my mind become more creative. Because I think a lot of times we get bored and a lot of times we just grab our phone and we're like, okay, I'm bored. So I'm just gonna watch Netflix. I'm gonna go on my phone, waste time. And the next thing you know, an hour and a half has gone by, right? But in that hour and a half, what if you embrace the boredom like we used to have to do and our mind started thinking about stories. The next thing you know, you're writing out something that your mind thought about. And the next thing you know, you have like a short film idea or you have a feature film idea. Like those are moments that I feel like social media can take away from us. Um, so embracing the boredom is something that I think that has really helped me recently um, just with my creative process. And um, I don't think Instagram is a bad tool. I think a lot of great things come from it. Um, a lot of people find a lot of inspiration from it. Uh, I mean, I don't find a lot of inspiration from it. Like I'm more of like going on Vimeo like I used to and like watching short films, breaking things down. And I doing, cannot believe you do that. <laughs> and doing things like that. Like, <laughs> I think that that's stuff that like, but there's also bad in that too, yeah. you know? Cause you go down that rabbit hole Go too. down the rabbit hole of like, why am I not a staff pick? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, Vimeo. I haven't been on Vimeo in like forever. Mm -hmm. uh, I still use it because that's where I do a lot of client stuff. Yeah, you know, you still they, they have some amazing films. It's just like I never I, I'm more of a YouTube like I got into YouTube and then I was doing that more. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you with the whole thing with boredom and using boredom as a creative uh, baseline to then come up with things. I had something similar with films hmm. where I felt like I was watching too many films and too many TV shows. 
And there are so many amazing pieces out there. Like every streaming platform will have three to five killer, badass shows or movies that are amazing. Yeah. And I found myself feeling that after watching some of those movies and TV shows, I felt like I didn't need to create anything else. Almost like I was getting that high that you get when you're on set or when you're finishing a scene and like, so what I did at that time was I said, until I finish the movie, I cannot watch any more TV or movies. Did it help? It helped a lot. I wouldn't have finished it if it, in time for the deadline if I hadn't stopped doing that. Because think about it, one to two hours every night, five to six days a week, that's 10 to 12 hours a week. That's almost a, ha a part-time job. Yeah. Which when you're doing an independent film you have your your if you're doing freelance you have your clients you're or you have a nine time. to five or you're working at a studio for something and in my case that's what i was doing i was working at uh apple tv show and then i would wake up early work on the movie early in the morning for a little bit and then when i get got back work on it for like an hour and like yeah. try to bang out a, like a scene or half a scene and then on the weekends do it again so it did help me a lot and I, I'm still struggling. I feel like I'm struggling a little bit with the social media aspect of it lately because one of my goals this year is I want to grow my social media. Yeah, it's important. And I don't see how you can grow it without having engagement on it unless you outsource that to someone else. And I, I can't outsource it to someone else yet. So I'm doing my best to play with it as much as possible to grow, but being aware that, hey, this is not good to if you keep doing it. Yeah. So something that I do is that I don't watch stories. Like if I can help it, I don't watch any stories. Oh, that's a that's a, like that's worse than scrolling stories. Yes. The challenge is in the last two weeks or so, Instagram is doing on the feed, they're adding recommended content. Yeah. And it's good. And it's so good. So <laughs> like it's either like fitness, photography, like cameras, like funny things, quotes, like they get you like VFX breakdowns and yeah. lighting breakdowns and all of that. And it, it comes and it hooks me. So before I used to be able to like scroll a little bit, I always like to scroll comment on so people feel that I'm yeah, paying attention. Absolutely. And and I also follow a lot of like artists and photographers and filmmakers and actors. Yeah. And so you want to let them feel the the love. But then I start watching like other videos of like cool cameras and cool this, cool that. And like you go down that rabbit hole and you're and two lost. hours has passed and you're like Yes. <laughs> and also the flow. So how is your flow whenever you're getting into either writing? When you're on set and you're filming, I think that's one of the most beautiful things because time almost like stops, nothing else matters. Like we're shooting this and like this is the thing and you can do that for hours and you don't realize. But now that we're working from home most of the time and we're doing a lot of editing and things like that, how do you try to carry your creative flow when you're working on something? Do you get up really early and then work on that? Like what's yeah. your process? I'm an early riser. Um I'm also a runner, so like I have to get up early and then I have a child. So it's like you have to strategically plan around your time um, being all the things that you are outside of a filmmaker or whatever you're doing, right? Um, so I think that uh, I find myself most creative in the mornings 
my mind's the freshest. And I used to be nighttime, but I just think I'm so tired all the time, you know, when it comes to like training and beating down my body that when it comes like eight o'clock, I'm like, uh, um, <laughs> and so I did a uh, mile repeats, 11 mile, re- uh, eight by one mile repeats, three mile warm up, and then a three mile, uh, progression, uh, averaging 525 mile pace, 525 mile pace. Yeah. Did you have like a big dude with a shotgun running after <laughs> you? What the I had heck? a water bottle that would grab. Wow. Pace, yeah. I, I have started running a little bit, like very mild. <laughs> There's no way I can do a 525 mile pace. That's insane miles. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of That's hard fast. work goes into that. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about your, your running <laughs> charades now. Cause it's almost like you're, you were joking before we started shooting that something that started as a hobby. Now you are a pro marathon runner. I mean, I don't consider myself a pro, uh, you finished top 10 in the LA marathon, right? Yeah. 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 So uh, like, like over 20,000 or something like that. Um, that's pretty pro to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, how it started was I always grew up playing sports, competitive basketball, golf, uh, football. I've always been kind of an athlete. And so when you have that dedication routine in your life, you, mm-hmm. um, you can't always just spend eight hours on the golf course, right. All day as you build a career, unless that is your career, uh, basketball, you know, I was still playing a lot, but the you need time, other people too. You need other people. So running was a good way to re- just, go on exercise but i didn't get into like racing um until my friend told me he was gonna be running the la marathon and i had like a beer at uh barney's beanery in burbank and i was like i'm gonna sign up too and it was three and a half weeks out from a marathon oh my god and i signed up and i was like thinking so i was like the furthest i ran for that point was like less than 10 miles on a treadmill and I was probably like four miles. And I would just run just to stay lean, right? From yeah. lifting weights. And then I got hooked. I, I ran the marathon and- And you finished the marathon with three weeks of training? Yeah, it was, I think it's one of those things that you, and I wasn't like out of shape. I was still in shape playing a lot of basketball, you know? So it wasn't okay. like I was just sitting on the couch and then I'm gonna run the marathon okay. after just having a beer belly. It was like <laughs> one of those things where like, I was already an athlete, you yeah. know? so. I got into it. I was like, if I can just maintain this pace that I feel comfortable at, mm-hmm. let's just see how long. And then I got to like mile 19 and I was dying. And because uh, I a was mile, just- That's a lot. That's not bad, right? For never training for anything. So okay. your first like, okay, I want to run the marathon. Let's see how much I can do. You go out and you do 19 miles. Yeah. And then I started walk running all the way to the finish. And I finished like three hours and 30 something minutes or something like that, which wow. is- a fast time. That's you know. as fast. That's what it took me to do a half marathon on a treadmill. Because, <laughs> like, I remember the same day that you ran that marathon, I was like, screw this. I'm going to run too. <laughs> so I went to the gym. There's no way that I was going to, like, run, like, the real thing. Yeah. Like, my knees are all messed up from playing baseball when I was a kid mm-hmm. in Cuba. So I ran a half marathon on the treadmill. I did a lot of, like, walk and run, walk and run. It took me about, like, Two and a half, like three hours. What was your post meal? What'd you eat? I don't remember. Like my legs were dying. <laughs> I, I went and passed out. <laughs> my first marathon, all I ate was McDonald's French fries. Like, right after? All, 
all day. Like all I ate was French fries all day. I was like, and I could not stop eating. I ate like a large Domino's pizza, large oh, nice. French fries, and I was just hungry. And it's like, great. Yeah, that's why I run so I can eat whatever I want. <laughs> I could barely walk like for the next three days. It was terrible, and my knees were hurting. But now I can run a little bit more. But after doing that. I, I was like, to me, it's not appealing to, mm. to kill myself like that. So I want to be like fit and be able to do like three, four miles without dying. Mm -hmm. Like I feel that's good. I think I probably need to work my way up to like a half marathon where I'm not dying. Mm -hmm. That's maybe. a good strategy. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. then I'm afraid I'm going to end up like you hooked up on that. I'm, I have a very obsessive personality. Yeah. So then I'm going to be running and running and running and I'm already too skinny. Yeah, really. How many? come over and you're just gonna run to my house yeah yeah i don't think i can do that plus i need to find a way to make more movies so you're trying to figure out a way to help other filmmakers bring their movies out and like have the whole distribution thing tell me a little bit about that and what was your experience with the movie and now yeah. what you're trying to do yeah uh distribution's a tricky thing you know because you a lot of filmmakers they um think about making their feature film and then but they don't really think about then what you know, or a short film, like setting aside money for distribution, setting aside uh, money for uh, the process that comes with all of everything that comes after you, you, you have their, your last shot. You and know? what are some of those things? Cause I run into the same problem. Yeah. I was only doing like production and post and yeah. that's it. Yeah. So like, for example, um, paying for deliverables, stuff like that, uh, captioning, um, you know, a lot of distribution houses, if if you're dealing with Disney or dealing with bigger films, if you're not independent, you um, you don't really have to worry about those things because a lot of it's done in-house. But, you know, you get into these deals or some negotiations and it's one of those things. And I've dealt with several films where it's, it's a give and take process, right? Um, people don't want to lose money, of course, and I totally understand that. But it's a lot of the times, like, as a filmmaker you just barely raise enough money to make your movie, right? So then how are you supposed to have extra cash? You have to either raise extra cash or save, or like for us, we can do a lot of the work, you know, cause we're also really proficient at editing. So having to do captions and having to do those things, we know how to do those things. Yeah. But a lot of directors and producers, they don't know how to do that stuff. So they have to outsource it. I think a lot of that's changing as people are becoming more content creators and stuff like YouTube is readily available to, yeah research how do you do, do this yeah, yeah i did a lot of that for my film yeah the part that i still don't quite understand is now if i finish my movie and i give it to a distributor they basically what they do is they put it up on apple tv and google and all that then the platform is going to take 30 percent cut from the rental or the sale and then the distributor is going to take 30 to 40 percent cut of the rental and the sale so then you only have a 40% cut. And then if you have an agent involved in the process, you lose money there. And then from that money, you have to recoup your investors. And then it's when you start seeing profit. Mm -hmm. So you would have to sell, like if you make a million dollar budget film, you would have to sell like $10 million to like in rentals to like mm -hmm. see any money. Cause like if you do a million, you're only going to see like a, 30% of that right. or maybe 20%. So it's insane. And like, yeah. do we, how do we fix this? Uh, 
they have been saying, those are conversations that constantly filmmakers are constantly having. I mean, that's something that's even at the higher level too. You know, it's not something that's, there's no real right and easy way to figure out how to do something. I do think distribution is changing drastically. And I know everyone throws in the COVID stuff of the pandemic and how that changed and everything like that, but it's true. Um, we see it theatrically, we see it straight to streaming. We see um, a lot of people don't wanna give up the rights to their stuff anymore. A lot of people would rather like build their own platform, sell them Vimeo on demand and mm -hmm. use their own outlet and their own social media following to be able to sell and recoup their money, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they don't have to deal with the 40%, 40% and you're left with 20% and you still have to pay everybody else, right? Yeah. Um, especially if you, if you put blood equity in it, you know, sweat equity in it. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think that landscape of distribution is changing. Um, I think there's going to be, and as the metaverse comes to a bigger thing and as, um, you know, NFTs become bigger than they are now and all things become solidified with crypto, whatever, I think there's going to be more avenues for filmmakers to be able to get more profits for the art that they create. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's an exciting time. I, I really do. I think it's, it's cool because like the barrier between like consumer to artist is getting broken down. Mm -hmm. You know, the, it's like no longer artists create something. And now there's this middleman with another middleman with another middleman to the consumer. Now, like the artist and the consumer can really just interact with one another. Mm -hmm. And that's huge to social media. That's another thing of power of social media, as you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the right answer to that, but I mean, things are constantly changing all the time. Yeah. So Miles, if you could work on anything and like money was not the thing and you didn't have to run as much. <laughs> I'd still run. <laughs> what would you be like super passionate about and like give your all to that first to go the narrative that i wrote i would really 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 want to make that film and first to go comes from the documentary that you made about the uh, japanese families that were yeah. taken into custody and all yeah, that. yeah it's like my family so um which you know the script did well as a uh, semi-finalist at austin for a bunch of different things and that's great um so i haven't pushed it since then and it's one of those things like why why haven't i done that um it's the same thing you know mm -hmm. sometimes you just life catches up thing yeah. and you can't always be too hard on yourself you know yeah well i'm here to be hard on yourself <laughs> you don't be hard on yourself i'm gonna be hard on yourself and I really hope that you push for that film and that you find a way to make it happen. Thank you. Because I can definitely see it uh, from watching the documentary. I can totally see the the feature. And I would love to see you make that movie and like tell that story because I think it's super important. Thank you. And it's also one of those things where there's an audience for it and my style can be in it too. And it's mm -hmm. like important, right? And it mm -hmm. not only educates, but it also is inspiring too, which mm -hmm. is my jam. That's awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm glad we finally got to do it. You yeah, know? of course. Thank you. So thank you guys so much for watching. If you like the episode, make sure that you hit the like button, subscribe, and share the episode with your friends. And I hope that I get to see you on another episode. Thank you so much. <laughs>